This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is James Whitley. He is an author and trained counsellor who lives with depression, anxiety and PTSD. His books include The Recovery Letters, What I Do to Get Through, How to Tell Depression to Piss Off, How to Tell Anxiety to Sod Off, which will be out in January, and How to Get to Grips with Grief, which will be released in July 2022. He is also the founder of the internationally renowned The Recovery's Letter Project. For me, it's a mixture of finding meaning in my life, um, finding any kind of meaning, but latching on to meaning, but also, and probably more so in many ways, finding moments of absolute joy. Because I think throughout my life, there were so many times where I didn't think I would experience joy again. But knowing that the tools that I have at hand, and I just have to rummage around in that toolbox and go, okay, so which one are we going to use today? You need to read a book by one? James Whitney. They're very good, you know. <laughs> Take one of those 40 tips and you'll be fine. For me, when I, when I stopped trying to fight so much, trying to fight the fact that I, you know, I wanted to get rid of depression and anxiety completely. It's like I wanted to be to the perfectionist bit in me, the one with the mild OCD wants to go, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to be the person that has got rid of depression completely. And I kept trying and trying and trying and trying and going, well, I still haven't got rid of it. And then of course I felt worse because I hadn't got rid of it. And yeah, it is tiring. It is tiring, but the rewards are huge. The rewards are massive. Animals have this amazing capacity of just living in the moment and and being with you at the moment, whether they're wild animals or domestic animals. Yes, because uh, you said if all fails, just get a cat, didn't you? Get a cat, which I did. <laughs> Especially when well and well, you know, letting go of those friendships that don't support you and bolster you up. And, you know, we need to be with other people that let us be vulnerable. So, you know, if people are not allowing us to be vulnerable and in pain, then they aren't people that we should be around. So welcome, James, to the show. How lovely to see you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. You're welcome. So because the show is called Unbroken, the very Mm. first question that I ask all of my guests is what does that word unbroken mean to you? Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? You know, and I've, I've heard lots of different answers on your podcast. And, I, and I, think, I think for me, it's a mixture of finding meaning in my life, um, finding any kind of meaning, but latching on to meaning. But also, and probably more so in many ways, finding moments of absolute joy. Because I think throughout my life, there were so many times where I didn't think I would experience joy again. So when I get moments of joy, then I write them down, you know, so I have a whole list on my phone of moments of joy. And so I think actually living with meaning is really important and finding meaning in my work and what I do. 
but actually finding moments of joy, which is, you know, as we know, very different from happiness, um, is incredibly important to me. And that's the sort of nutrition in the food, if you were, if we were to use that metaphor, is, is the joy bit, you know. So moments, you know, that were just ecstatic and lovely and, you know, just really healing, fantastic moments that, that made me pleased that I'm still living my life. It is a beautiful answer. And uh, the word that was going through my head was it's very nurturing to, and you say nutritious. So it's a very similar kind of meaning. But, yeah, beautifully nurturing to be self-aware enough to appreciate these moments of joy. Um, so you, you are very honest, obviously, with your own mental health journey. I have just finished reading How to Tell Depression to Piss Off and having a little conversation before. And I was like, should I love a book about depression? Because it... It's a very serious subject, but you make it so light and so funny and just so engaging. And it should be like that because I really don't know anyone that hasn't struggled with mental health, especially, you know, with everything, the lockdown, the collective grief of what we've all lost, et cetera, et cetera. When did your mental health, when were you aware of your own journey? When did that start? Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? I, I think, you know, I think when I look back, I can see that, you know, my mental health, you know, started to get bad very, very young. So as a child, so probably after my dad died at five, I can remember what I recognise now as feelings of, of depression. Um, but I, I kind of grew up in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, things definitely weren't discussed. You know, mental illness, you know, was people in hospitals. And, and that's pretty much what it was at that point mental health in sort of in a well-being term it wasn't wasn't discussed at all so it you know it, it incredibly it took me till I was really really acutely ill um about 10 years ago to say oh I'm someone that lives with a mental illness and that's partly because I didn't go for any help in my as a child there wasn't any help and I didn't then go for any help in my 20s or 30s or so it wasn't until I kind of hit 40 that I kind of and I had a huge huge really acute acute breakdown for want of a better word that I then went oh I am somebody that lives with mental illness and so yeah it has been with me my whole life and I can look back and go oh well I had suicide attempts in my teens and I had anorexia but it, it was very very different times and and worse times so you couldn't just google you know help with anorexia um I don't think we even had Google then anyway the Google was not there no that's Indeed. how old we both are yes that's how old we both are it just <laughs> it just didn't exist you know yeah. so we I think we, because we take for granted be able to access that information so quickly but it wasn't there so I remember yeah. looking through the yellow pages sort of you know about 19 for eating disorder services and 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 there weren't any you know there just weren't any so you kind of go well, I don't, I can't go to my doctor about this because men don't get anorexia and, and, you know, so I just, I didn't do anything about it. So, you know, but then I look, when I look back, I kind of realise, no, I've been mentally unwell um, since a child, you know. And when, when your father died, I'm not sure how he died. Was it an illness or was it a sudden thing? So, yeah, he, he died of meningitis on, on Christmas Day. Oh. <laughs> of all, Christmas of all Day days. is a strange time for and you then. Huh? Christmas Day is very weird. And, yeah, yeah you kind of want to go, you could have just waited a couple of days, you know. Yeah. That would have that been... Ruined it for me. Ruined it, wasn't and it? For anyone listening, we are not 
taking the piss. <laughs> this is this is our way of coping with bad stuff. This is the I'm way a little bit coping. like you, James. <laughs> this is the way of coping with bad stuff. Uh, you know, I think humour plays a huge part in my yeah. in my recovery. You know, I, I'm really similar important. with. It. I think that there's a lot of things, very different stories, but a lot of what you talk about resonates with me a lot. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, I was, you know, I was sexually abused as a child um when i was when i was seven so i mean that had a you know it's a huge huge impact so on not me. long just after your father had passed away. just after my father had died so yeah you kind of build up these sort of two huge you know adverse childhood experiences they're called aren't they yeah. um two massive ones you know you kind of can't get sort of bigger than that really and can um, you say how long the abuse went on for um i think it went on for about about a year okay. um um, from two from two people um and yeah and all that sort of kind of ongoing with with, with, with the police at the moment and, and we were chatting before and you've told me you have now reported this so we're not going to go into mm. too many details it is historical no. abuse but it yeah. was really by going to therapy it allowed the space for that to kind of re-emerge and I've had very similar reactions I'm, when my eldest daughter was 13 all of my memories flooded back and at first yeah. I just thought I was bonkers even yeah, more bonkers absolutely. than I thought I already was, and I'd actually <laughs> made it up because I'd worked with so many women at Women's Aid Rape Crisis. Surely, if that had happened, I'd remember yep. that, really. Come on, you know, don't be so stupid. Where's that come from? Absolutely. How were you when your memories returned? Oh, I, do you know what? I was so shocked. Yeah. I mean, so shocked. And my body kind of started spasming, just mm. sort of, and, and I was crying constantly, constantly yeah. crying, crying, crying. So my body... My body had remembered, yeah. um, but I was just in complete shock and, and and tried to kind of go, oh, you are going mad or this is a delusion. Not that I had, had any delusions. It's before, very but... reassuring to hear we both had the same yeah. thought process and other people listening will also, you know, recognise that as well. I hope so, because I don't think that's talked enough about in relation to sexual abuse sort of recovered memories. And I... And now I can kind of go, oh, that makes sense, and that makes sense, and that makes sense, and that makes sense. Yes, and you kind of put the pieces together, really, can't we, the pieces, of the jigsaw? Exactly. But it's uh, it's it was a huge shock. I mean, just a massive, massive, massive shock. And sort of questioning myself and, you know, what's happened. And and then it's been a gradual process of, of you know, trusting myself and, you know, trusting that my mind protected myself and... And when I had been in a sort of a great relationship with my counsellor, it's it's it didn't come up in counselling, but I think it's those memories have come forward because of it being in a safe space with my counsellor. Um, but it was a, I mean, a massive shock, and then <clears throat> the, you know, the memories kept unrolling slowly, so yes, I would get a do, bit more. They, they yeah. do. Yeah, and, and mine no came back job. to me in my my dream state. They didn't come back to me when right. I was awake. And then I thought, well, you've definitely you're just dreaming it. It's just rubbish. Where is your mind going at night? Absolutely. I just even convinced me even more until eventually, I think it chases us until we think, okay, I've got to yeah. face this. Otherwise, I'm going to carry this weather, this bad weather, with me constantly. So, my opinion is that it comes back whether we agree or not when actually we're ready to face it when it's I, the time's right our body our mind knows we're strong enough to deal with it now i think i think that's absolutely right and it, and it took me a long time because i was just going well i'm not ready to deal with this i'm not i don't i don't feel ready to deal with this why would we want why, to go to the darkest chapters want, of our life i don't want this you know yeah. 
and was very resentful. Um, but I've, yeah, I have come to realize that actually having developed my own coping mechanisms in relation to mental health and having a lot of support from my husband, my counselor and various other people that, that it probably is the safest time for that stuff to come out. And there was, yeah, there was a lot of questioning of, of, you know, am I clinically insane now? Am I having a psychotic episode, which I've never had before? You know, what is happening? This can't be real. Trying to convince myself it wasn't real. And, you know, I know that it's real because those memories are so specific and, you know, that that I know it's real now. And just like you, it was actually the way my body responded that convinced me because I thought I can't mm. trust my mind you know what is yeah. our mind if we cut it open it doesn't bleed you know what really is our mind but mm. I went for lots of um like therapeutic body treatments and I was mm. shaking and crying yeah. and screaming and I thought yeah who's, who's that person who's making all that noise and then I realized it was me and I thought I have to trust my body I couldn't yeah. make it shake or vibrate on purpose or you know cry and kick out so yeah, as you said, the body remembers the score. I think it's uh, Dr. Babette Rothschild, isn't it? Her book, And it's it's in there, or, or Peter Levine, you know, the body knows the score. It's absolutely all in there, which yeah. is part of the PTSD as well, really, isn't it? It is, absolutely, yeah. I, w- I mean, I've been reading The, the Body Keeps the Score recently, and... Um, and yeah, it's it's a dense book, but there's a couple of chapters that that just kind of went, oh, okay, that's that's what's happening to me because I couldn't understand what my body was doing, and I, you know, I'm on quite a high doses of antidepressants, so which kind of stops me crying, but suddenly, all I could do was cry, and I was just crying and crying and crying, and my body would just be spasming, and then I was just going, well, I don't, I don't know what this is. I've never, I've never had this in really, you know, and so I had these memories, and then all these body responses and it was and, and just it's real well for me I can't speak to you but it was like real sorrow just all this oh. sadness and and it yeah. felt like that young young person crying yeah. who couldn't cry at that time you know just had to absolutely put up with it and get on with it and it was just absolutely. such sorrow that those tears but really good to shift them and move them and then in fact it was like I used to call it a tsunami I thought if I start I may never turn them off but we do stop crying <laughs> yeah. eventually <laughs> we do and I, and I have you know that those body spasms and that constant almost constant crying has has you know lasted a few months and has has it's definitely died died down you know um, and it just needed to get out of my body you know my body that's you know it remembered and and it was it was huge sadness and grief and you know grief for that child um and you know that child you know who couldn't process that or understand that or tell anybody about that you've had the words that at just there are no words or even at five you know your daddy's there one minute and then he's literally gone absolutely how could you put that into any kind of language there is no language and 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 there were no words and then there was no one there was no services there to help you with words you know and all we got talked about at school was about stranger danger, you know, probably the same for you. So, you know, it would be like, well, don't go into the car with somebody, don't accept sweets, don't don't go off with the guy who's wanting to show, you know, his puppy. You know, it was that. It was, yes. it was, it was, you know. And, and not about the course, people that you trust or the people that you not know. Not about the people that yes, you trust. And of course, that... now we know, you know, that, you know, vast, vast majority, obviously. But it's it's so you you your language or your understanding of anything that's wrong is is all based around people that you don't know um, not people that you do so so yeah there are there were no words as a child so we, there is no language for that so you know all that gets trapped and you know locked down at least in your body and in your mind and 
Um, and it did, it got locked down for decades, you know, and, and I now go, okay, I can see why this has happened and that's happened and why I didn't like that place and that place and, and why I don't like anyone coming up behind me and, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and it, so it's, it's, it's grief and it's shock and it's pain, but it's also, you kind of go, ah, okay. There's also it's, those it's the moments. PTSD, isn't it? Always being on alert, yeah. always ready to fight, always like, what's that? Who's that? Who made that noise? You know, Absolutely. I, I was just always, I was in like hypersensitive mode. As soon as I get in my car, put the buttons down. I couldn't drive in the car park if it was beyond one floor because I couldn't, you know, walk down too many flights yeah. of stairs. Somebody could follow. Always planning the worst case scenario in my head. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I, you know, I spent months locking my door and chaining the door and you know going you know, just feeling very very unsafe and and really living that child was you know needing to feel that and trying to understand those feelings of that child and trying to go okay that's that that's the child's fear and you're yes. an adult and separating the two and and but struggling to do that and I and I've got much better at that um but yeah it's 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 it's, it's a long painful journey yeah, because for me when I realized all the stuff I was doing it's like trying to close the stable door once that horse has already bolted yeah it's kind of too late it's, <laughs> it's too happened late. it's done there's, but our, our, it's like our do. mind and our body aren't integrated they, they they can't line up and so they operate in different time zones I think absolutely it is and it's an extraordinary sort of state state to be in really of kind of you know having one emotions from your child and one emotion from your adult and trying to kind of go oh what's go, what's going on here and and sort of being shocked by the abuse but then being shocked by the recall of the abuse that you know that your mind's done that so um yeah I I, I you know I'm I'm at the beginning of that journey of really and resenting being on that journey uh, <laughs> I have to say uh, you know but it but it is what it is and I, and I think ultimately you know I, it has come out for a reason and I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of healing that will impact me in lots of different ways but I mean, I don't want to be the saver here, but because of your incredible awareness and you are a therapist and you're already in therapy yourself, you no. are armed with amazing tools to deal with this. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. not just someone coming into it and like, shit, where's all this come yeah. from? You, you have a, a lot of um, self-awareness and good self-practice, you know, self-kindness that uh, you will get through this. You will get to the other side. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think what you know, a friend sent to me, I told a friend and she said, you've got the tools, you've got the tools to do this, James, this is why it's come because you have got the tools. And I initially I went, I'm not sure. And then, you know, I kind of went, no, I think I do. Actually, I think I do. You know, I, I was talking to a friend yesterday going, I've been so worried about having having another huge breakdown. And I said, I I don't, I really don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen because I do have the tools. I am stronger. And I, you know, of course, this is a massive shock, but I do have the tools to, to manage this. And of course, it's difficult. And of course, I've had really awful times with it. But, but knowing that the tools that I have at hand, and I just have to rummage around in that toolbox and go, okay, so which one are we going to use today? You need to read a book by one? James Withy. They're very good, you know. <laughs> Take one of those 40 tips and you'll be fine. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, sometimes I, I do do that. I do, you know. I do look at my what books and, and flick through and go, what would James do? You know, yeah. and I, because I have to remind myself that I do have all these tools. Well, and, well that's and, what's so beautiful. You were this little five-year-old with a trauma, then this little seven-year-old with this trauma mm. who had no words, who couldn't mm. speak the mm. unspeakable. And yet now you have penned five books, two we're yet to see in the wild, but you have, <laughs> you have 
and also the recovery letters, you yeah. have written everything yeah. down to what you've been through, but also very unselfishly how to help others to go through what you go through. And, I, and I, what I really loved, I haven't read the others yet, but what I loved about How to Tell Depression to Piss Off is really, it's just about centering yourself, isn't it? Mm. Accepting what is, stop fighting with it, just accept yeah. this will be part of you, could be part of you forever, might not be part of you forever. It is what it is. How can I best deal with it? Don't listen to all that negative chatter that it tries to lie to us that you are ridiculous and you are awful and you are fat and nobody will like you. Just, you're okay. Absolutely. You know, acceptance is a huge, huge part of kind of kind of any kind of journey, you know, with mental illness. And um, for me, when I, when I stopped trying to fight so much trying to fight the fact that I, you know i wanted to get rid of depression and anxiety completely it's like i wanted to be to the perfectionist bit in me the one with the mild ocd wants to go i'm going to get rid of this i'm going to be the person that has got rid of depression completely and i kept trying and trying and trying and trying and going well i still haven't got rid of it and then of course i felt worse because i hadn't got rid of it yes. and then depression was telling me that I was because you're still depressed yeah exactly and it just goes round and round and round and round and when i kind of went okay Okay, I, I now accept this is going to be with me. And that doesn't and I doesn't mean I'm not gonna fight it in a in a, in a way to better myself, but I accept that it's with me and it's gonna be with me for the rest of my life in some form. And that acceptance freed me up to suddenly bear arms really and and get tools to tackle it. And knowing that the tools are not about, you know, getting rid of it. The tools are about protecting me and um, making me live a better life and me manage it day to day. You know, when I don't want to get up and go to the shops or go to work, you know, those tools are about me living. And that's and that's really, really helped immeasurably and not listening to the voice of suppression and, and not believing what it tells me. And so all these things that I you use to you know and not just when times are bad you know so like i'm saying yeah i use it so you know we'll get up and go oh you know i mean i you know i generally love my job i work i write part-time and i work part-time in the library and i love i love my jobs um and of course there are days when i kind of go and it's raining and you kind of go oh, i don't want to get up or depression is telling you you're an idiot you're an idiot mm-hmm. and i use those tools to get out of bed you know, get out of bed and get on the train and go I mean, to work. I, I wrote so many notes and I read your book and I thought, I've got to speak about this chapter, but I love this, <laughs> the chapter about the sandwich. <laughs> just yes, by, you absolutely. know, t- just taking, not even day by day, but second by second, just setting second yourself tasks and this this scene that you set, it could be in a play. It was so funny about <laughs> going to buy a sandwich and there weren't sandwiches and they weren't where, where they said she was and they were back where you started and then they didn't have yeah. any and then they had too many and how do I choose one? I can't possibly choose. And you can just see the senses overload yeah, until yeah. eventually, Absolutely. you know, it's okay. Absolutely. And the eternal optimist in me, when you hear you say, I'll always live with it, and I think, you might not always live with it, but then that, is that me wanting to be the saviour? Because I always thought I would always 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 had depression but i'm many many years on from you in my healing from yeah. sexual violence so i don't know if that's the difference but it might be yeah. i, I will Could get be. days when i'm like oh, but i've got yeah. like you so much self-awareness i can recognize okay we need a bit of self-care here i've done too much i'm tired i didn't sleep last night let's how can we correct this and so it's fixable really quickly I think I think that's it. I think as you sort of, you know, we're all kind of on these different journeys, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And and for me at the moment, saying it's going to be with me helps me to live. So yeah. 
whether if that changes then hurrah you know <laughs> that's fantastic but actually for me saying I accept that it's going to be with me helps me then to carry on you know because otherwise I'm going I'm going to get rid of it I'm going to get rid of it and I can't get rid of it and just accepting and going okay so now I accept that it's going to be with me and whatever changes in the future that's fantastic I'm going to keep using the tools and I'm going to keep working on myself but I accept that depression is is in my life and I don't want it in my life but I accept that it's there you know and that's and, where we and are today the other chapter about um you know uh, look, researching depression and looking what other people have done was really very cute as well it was very smart because you know we want to find the cure you know, as a psychotherapist people would sit down and say oh, I've got to get rid of this quickly is there a pill that I can take what, what can I do rather than actually it's a journey you know this is not going to be a sprint this is a marathon we have to unpick all of this and whatever yeah. but your description of how people went to all these different places and did all this different stuff moved to Prague and worked with the fairies or, or did whatever they did mm. everybody's journey is so different and there will be a way through the mazes and many mazes but you've got to kind of find your own unique way really haven't you you do. You've, you've got to find your own way through it and, and, and what works for you. And, and the experimenting actually is everything, really. Yes. You know, that the experimenting is is finding out what works or what works at the time and then writing that down and going, well, this worked then. And it, it, and it feels a bit like homework because it is a bit like homework, you know. Mm -hmm. But, but the rewards are huge. The rewards are you and your life and, and having moments of joy, you know. But, yeah, it takes time to know what to do and what feels best to do. And is that counselling or is that group work or is that, you know, is that, you know, surfing or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And you kind of got to gather gather that information first. It's, it's sort of, you know, you've got to sort of look at the different ways that are working for you and then and then carry on and then change them if they're not working to something else. And so it's a continual process of doing something and then reevaluating and is that working and that's not working. And yeah, it is tiring. It is tiring. But the rewards are huge. The rewards are massive to do that. Um, and that concludes many things. So it includes things like rest, you know, and it includes things like just staring into space or walking by the sea or, you know, so many things. Mm -hmm. um, and I, 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 I write those things down. I mean, I have them written down in my books, but I also write down things on my phone that I do that have helped. So I know I have those cues, you know, because you know, I, I, I totally identified with two of the things you said that helped you listening to podcasts. Obviously, I'm going to be yep. and Absolutely. to be in nature. And I'm very lucky. I live in Scotland and in lockdown. I just started climbing hills, you know, Wonderful. getting to the top of Munro's whilst yeah. listening to a podcast, you know, so I did yeah. both at the same time, which is why that, <laughs> that jumped out at me. Just to be in nature, it just mm. takes me takes me back to how small and insignificant I am, but also I'm part of this nature as well. So how huge we are as well. You know, we're, we're just a speck of sand, but actually we're everything as well. It was, it's always just... Uh, just putting one foot in front of the other on a cold, crispy day, walking where I live. I can walk in the country park and see Highland cows, the hairy coos. And they always bring a smile to your face. How could you not? 
apart from um, wanting to brush their hair and put the hair clip in. <laughs> how could you not love walking past the Highland cattle? And, Absolutely. You know, just Absolutely. to get out in nature is so nurturing. It, it is incredibly nurturing. And, and animals are as well. You know, animals have this amazing capacity of just living in the moment and and being with you at the moment, whether they're wild animals or domestic animals. Yes, because uh, you said they... if all fails, just get a cat, didn't you? Get a cat, which I did. <laughs> I have one of each. I have a dog and a cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, animals have this amazing healing quality to them. They, you know, they really do. And they keep you very grounded in the, in the moment, you know. And dogs especially, I think, are really good at that, of going, we're going to do joy now. We're going to, yeah. you know, this is fantastic. And that's really infectious. Um, so there are so many things that you know you can do alongside more traditional treatments if that's what you want to do but it's 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 always a package it's always a package of things it's not as simple as okay so these antidepressants antidepressants do work for me and they do make me feel better and they've helped me massively but so have lots of other things and so you know it's not just a case of you know here's the prescription away you go and what was interesting that you wrote that some were great but maybe only work for a year and yep, then you had to did. try something else and again it's yep. that waiting for them to take hold could take three five six weeks and you know then yep. am i okay am i eating too much am i sleeping too much you know how is this impacting on the rest of my body or my mind? So it is trial and error a lot, isn't it, with antidepressants? It is really trial and error. And I, and I think also having to push, you know, to say, actually, these aren't working or, you know, the side effects of this are really aren't working for me. So I had loads of really severe side effects when I first started on antidepressants. So I was feeling sick or tired or, or you know, some make you incredibly hungry. You just eat the whole time. Yeah. And you kind of got to go, well, actually no, these aren't working. There are loads of antidepressants, you know, out there. You, it's okay to push and go, these ones aren't working for me. Because you um, really don't want to feel worse when you're feeling depressed. No, no. no it's not a good ab- combination. No, <laughs> absolutely. So I was feeling tired and sick and just going, oh, this just isn't worth it. You know, so you have to push to a certain extent to go, no, I want to try something different. Or I want to try something different or that one's not working. Um, and and try different ones until you find the one that works. And yeah, I found and many other people find that they work for a certain amount of time and then and then we're not quite sure what happens, but the body is adjusting somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, the sensors aren't getting sparked off in the way that they should, and then you need to change to another one. So but it, like everything, that's a continual process of reevaluating and going, okay, what do I need to alter? What do I need to change? Because we're changing all the time and the world is changing all the time. Absolutely. That we have to just keep on with that change. And, and especially when, you know, we've got mentally ill or we're you know, suffering from trauma, we've got to keep readjusting to, to what we need. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, actually, isn't it? What, what I observed during lockdown is that... Um, people that had anxiety or depression it was almost quite comforting to watch other people suddenly have anxiety and depression you think well welcome to my world this is how I've always felt you know because it was it was like a collective grief when we first went into lockdown and I think for a lot of people a lot of people contacted me to ask how to stay stable and grounded because they're unprocessed trauma because we couldn't distract ourselves keep ourselves busy which is what we do when we avoid stuff it popped up and they weren't ready to face it so in some ways, it's almost made it really okay to speak about mental health and our well-being. It's suddenly like the top agenda within companies and homes yep. and everywhere. So that, that's been a good thing, really, hasn't it? It, it? it absolutely has been a good thing. Yeah, I, I think what it's made us, it's, it's made us talk about, you know, 
I've had conversations with people that would have never uttered the word mental health until the pandemic. And people have said, I'm having a bad mental health day because of the pandemic. So it's kind of given us permission as a society to go, okay, yeah, this is affecting us all. So yeah, that language, and yeah, it was getting better, but actually the pandemic has made us so in touch with our general well-being uh, and different from kind of kind of mental illness you know, you know but but certainly just in terms of general bad mental health days or good mental health days it's, and working it's, environments i mean the introverts i know were delighted they were, i'm never going to work again i'm always going to work from home forever and, and people <laughs> that are really sociable like, i really miss my peers yeah. i want to get back to work and be yeah. with people i don't want to have an office cat and an office dog and you know I want, I want people so it, it brings up different stuff when our liberties are taken away doesn't it for different people it does. It absolutely does. You know, it just radically changes everything. You know, it's 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 like having a big rug pulled up under you, and you're suddenly free, free floating, going. Well, actually, all the things that I was used to. So, you know, getting in the car and going to work and going to the office and seeing colleagues, and then going out to meet with friends or what, you know, being able to go to this shop or that restaurant. Suddenly, everything is gone. You know, yeah. and that's very much you know our experience of people with mental illness or trauma is that that's how it feels. That the rug is gone, and you're just free floating going how do i how do i manage because all those things whether we name it or not could actually be our support systems couldn't they Absolutely. i rely on people at the office they might not know what's going on, on the inside but i rely on going for a drink after work or going out exactly. to eat or meeting people at lunch for a walk or the office banter whatever it is that that's Absolutely. our secret support systems Absolutely. There are loads of very small ways that, that seem small, but are actually huge, you know. So, yeah, having those conversations with people at work, you know, laughing about a TV programme that you saw, you know, speaking about the Netflix series, you know, having an, an interaction with, you know, an email interaction or a phone interaction or, or somebody in a shop or, you know, just a nice chat with the waiter in a restaurant, you know, all those things, someone smiling at you in a supermarket, helping someone get a can of custard down from the front, you know, the top shelf. All those things are profoundly important to our mental health. Absolutely. It's profoundly and we, we important. We think they're the little things, but really the little mm. things are the big things, aren't the they? Little, the little things are the big things. And, and it is about noting those little things. And I do that as well. So I note mm. those kind of mini, mini moments of connection or joy or, you know, so I was, I was, shopping this morning and was in a in a gift shop buying some soap so I was treating myself to kind of you know that really nice expensive soap that I don't mm-hmm. buy very often but just smells lovely and there was there was a girl in there and um she was saying to the shop assistant going oh you know this is my first time doing Christmas shopping and it's so lovely that I can do my Christmas shopping and I'm really looking forward to giving all my gifts for people and she was just it was just joyous and and the shop assistant and I were just in tears afterwards Aww. just going what a beautiful, beautiful moment. And it's those kind of interactions and those things that that we all really need and that we all really lost, that we all grieved for during yes. lockdown because they weren't there, you know, and you suddenly realise how that's inbuilt into our lives to kind of to kind of keep us going. I know, and I kind of hope that we'd all remain really kind and loving and supportive, but it's like doesn't take long for people to go back to their old ways, does it? It, 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 it doesn't, you know. All that hashtag doesn't. be kind, like, where's that gone yeah, then? <laughs> I know, and, it, and it's it, and it's a real shame, you know, that... that Humans. It, it's, it's, it's just a human It's conditioning, thing, isn't, isn't it? it? Just, it is, it's it's conditioning it is. a human, and, you know, but, you know, I am, you know, I might great grandmother my grandmother rather who lived to 106 you know would tell stories about the first world war and the second wow what she must have seen all those changes huge changes and she would tell me about you know the cohesion during the war you know 
amongst the pain, amongst the huge amounts of death, there was this cohesion, you know, and that she had never experienced that cohesion since because everyone was being drawn together by by one thing, you know. So it was amazing how, and we are living through history as well, you know, we are in time Absolutely. of living living crisis, and so yeah, it has has drawn us together. And I and I think actually. Even though it feels like sort of we've moved away from the kindness, I think some of that has remained, and I think will remain, and it will remain in terms of people talking about their mental health and their mental yeah. wellness, and and little kindnesses hopefully being shown a bit more. Yeah, I hope, what, again, I hope. another important. There's so much. There's so much in your important book um, about finding your tribe. You know, getting rid of the toxic yeah. people, staying with people that rise you up rather than pull you down. It's so important, isn't it? Absolutely. When we recognise actually. Every time I'm with that person, I actually feel like this and I feel like I want to throw yeah. up or I feel really scared or they make me feel, they question yeah. my sanity, whatever. They, you know, be aware of, of who you surround yourself with was so important. It's, it's abs- absolutely crucial, you know, because I think sometimes we hang on to friendships or relationships because we sort of feel we should, but actually... It's a loyalty, know, really, isn't it? Yeah, a kind of misplaced loyalty and we're thinking, but it's actually especially when we're unwell, I mean, anyway, generally, but especially when we're unwell, you know, letting go of those friendships that don't support you and bolster you up. And, you know, we need to be with other people that let us be vulnerable. So, you know, if people are not allowing us to be vulnerable and in pain, then they aren't people that we should be around because those are the people that will stand beside us when things are really tough. And those are the people that we need, you know. Absolutely. So you have three books published. We are recording this in December, but we're likely to go out in February. And by that time, How to Tell Anxiety to Sod Off will be out on the shelves. And I have a little quote here from the fabulous Robin Ince, who's a comedian and also does a podcast with um, Brian Fox, The Monkey monkey Cage, isn't it? Yep. yep. He does a number of podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And And he says about your new book, which won't be new when we do this, (laughs) a book to play anxiety bingo with one that will help you realise that you're not alone in experiencing absurd mental terrors that really feel horribly real. James makes it very funny too, surprise, because of the ludicrousness of where our anxiety imagination can take us to. And now I can't read my writing. (laughs) As funny as on the page, I just is horrifying when it's playing in our mind. You will laugh, but you will also come away tooled up for the next battle in your mind's darker corners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, being called funny by Robin Ince was quite was quite He's something. A great comedian, I, I have to so say. that's rather so lovely. That, 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 was yeah. huge, that was a huge privilege. But it, yeah, absolutely. It's the book is sort of in, in the same format as the depression book. Yes, it could so kind of be like ways. part one and part two because kind of part you know, one and part two. Yeah, I think if absolutely. you have depression, it's safe to say you can be pretty anxious as well at times. I I know very few people that just, you know, don't have that. They're kind of good friends of each other, really, aren't they? They, they walk side around. by side. Yeah, they certainly do. They certainly do. And very often when we are depression is very bad, we also have some degree of really acute anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I wanted, which I do, you know, so I wanted to tackle both. I really wanted to tackle both but write it in the same kind of lighthearted way, you know, a serious subject in a lighthearted way so that people are able to read it. Well, it makes it so accessible. Anyone could pick it up and read it. And you could just dip in, dip out, start from the start, start from the, you know, the end. Um, I suppose a strange, funny question that pops into my head. Do you get anxious when your books are being released on publication day? I do. I do get anxious. I do. (laughs) Even with that glowing testimony by Robin Hintz, you still worry what people will think or anybody will buy it. 
I, I do, of course, yeah. Well, they I use abs- it for their Kindle on their Fire. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do really worry about it. Um, but I also have techniques, you know. So it was funny when I started to writing it, I was going, oh, I'm anxious about writing a book about anxiety. <laughs> this is very meta, you know, this is all very... And then started to use the techniques to manage that. And it was all kind of going around in circles. Yeah. yeah you, it's, I, that's like a hand drawing a hand drawing a hand, isn't it? <laughs> it is, One of those it paintings. Is. It is. So, yeah, so I started to use the techniques about my anxiety, about writing my anxiety book. Um, yeah, yeah, of course you, could, you worry about it, you know. And actually... What I want more than that is I want people to enjoy it and benefit from it. So, you know, that that overrides everything, you know, um, is that people having some use from it. And um, it's great to have some testimonials from people that have said how useful it's been. You know, that's mm. wonderful as a start. I'm sure he means every word of it. <laughs> you know, you sound like it's great, like, you know, surprise. But uh, yeah, he wouldn't have said that if he didn't mean it. Absolutely. You know, you've had some amazing quotes and yeah, Robin's been incredibly, incredibly kind. So yeah, it's it's amazing to have quotes like that because when you're writing a book, you just, you don't know because it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a kind of very solitary activity and it you're is, kind of writing and you're kind of going, is this working? Is this, you know, is this actually, you know, this is making sense? And, you know, so yeah, then when you kind of sort of, you do, you do a pre-release, you know, to, to people that you want to read the book first. And then, so yeah, when you get those, comments back it's great because you kind of go okay it's okay so this is all this is this is all right isn't it (laughs) you know so it is anxiety inducing for you which is the same for any author I would imagine but is it cathartic to write all your thoughts Mm. down massively massively I I I find writing one of the most cathartic things that I do you know I I'm my mental health is always much better when I have some kind of writing project on the go and it could be stuff that that is about to be published or not you know sometimes I'm just I will just write stuff yes because you hear when you speak and you say do my homework I write down what helps me and what doesn't absolutely so you're always writing I'm all I'm always writing and that so yeah even if it's not for publication I do it because it helps me um you know and I wrote throughout when I was acutely ill and in, in and out of psychiatric hospital I wasn't able to read which was a massive massive loss but I was able to write and I, I think there's something about you know getting stuff out you know rather than taking stuff in that I was able to do um so yeah I've, I've yeah, always it's, written it's another way to move stuff isn't it to move it's that energy shifter. that's withheld in ourselves literally in our physiological exactly. body Exactly. Oh, I could speak to you for so long. It's just, <laughs> it is such a joy to speak to you about depression and anxiety. Um, before we do wind up, though, are there any tips? I know they'll obviously go out by your books, would be the first one. But uh, what would you say to someone that is struggling and maybe struggling to understand why we can laugh about it? Because we both, I've been a psychiatric hospital, I've had depression, I, I've been through it as well, you know, um, but we can both joke around about it. I, you know, I, I think I remember being convinced that nothing would get better. I would be, remember being convinced that I was the only person that depression and acute anxiety that would never get better, that I was going to remain in that torturous, torturous state of having feeling like my soul had been ripped out. And I thought, this is the state I'm going to be in. And it's and even though people were, were saying to me, you, you know, there is recovery and things change, I was going, I, that's not true. That might be true for you, it's not been true for me. And of course, that was the illness lying to me. And it is holding on to the fact that things change and they do get better. They do get better. And, and when the illness is telling you, you are not going to get better, you're never, ever, ever going to get better, things are not going to change, 
I often say to people, well, look around you, look at other stuff, look at the weather changing, look at the seasons changing, look at things that change all the time. Change is constant for all of us. And why would that not be applicable to you? It's it inevitable for everything, isn't it? It's, it is Nothing inevitable. Nothing stays the same. Nothing stays the same. And that includes our illness and change. We have to do stuff, but it includes, includes you, you know? And I remember feeling so lonely in that moment going, oh, it's never going to change for me. And it did, and it did. And, I, and I, I tell other people that, and I keep telling myself that as well, going, things shift and they alter and they alter and they change and they get better. And we've become more equipped to manage this sort of hectic whirlwind of a life, you know? But, but what we get, going back right back to the beginning, is moments of meaning and joy. And, and that, is, that is huge reward. Well, I think that is perfect place to end our interview. <laughs> Go out there and find your meaning and find your joy. Absolutely. And James is just being joyful speaking to you. you so too. thank you so much for coming on the show and you're a clear example of what Unbroken truly is. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Unbroken healing through storytelling. If you haven't already, go on, download, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. It really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible. There is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon. Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Playing now on all the main platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher for Android, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and here. Play Unbroken, the podcast with Madeline Black.